right, Ryan and Sean here on part two of a lot of part series, maybe. I don't know. Depends on our enthusiasm. Yeah, caffeine. Caffeine. How much caffeine we see on a uh, little casualty management disruption style. Uh, so just put one out. We talked about uh, kind of the access, assess and stabilize, uh, extract, mm-hmm. and evacuation thing last time kind of set up a framework so you can kind of push assets to basically planning training mission sets crap like that um this time we're going to hit on we uh talked to Brendan hartford a little bit earlier and some other folks that uh texted us after the first one on some other ideas uh, on what to cover so we're going to hit on some of those if you guys got any ideas things you're running into a wall on your departments or your agencies or whatever throw us a text and uh We'll kind of throw it down, man, talk about it a little bit. So uh, I think today we are going to start off with a little bit of how to integrate your med and rescue in your everyday training. So, Ryan, I think, what was it? Uh, I know you were talking to him about it, but we had a couple guys from a federal agency that were doing training in California, and they brought up the fact that, like, man, how can we, how can we get our team training on some of these rescue concepts and how can we sustain these if we don't have a lot of training time to do it and i think you brought that into like what you guys used to do from your med side yes they're kind of asking us like looking at the whole like rescue getting access to the patient pulling them out of the problem and then like how do we start shipping away at integrating the uh, medical portion to it too so now we're kind of working two systems you know kind of what real life is working multiple things at once and when you kind of look at that at first it looks like a lot to kind of bite into it, it is kind of complex but you got to make stuff simple. People overcomplicate it. And uh, from your team level, like what we start talking about is like, hey, you're not like, don't even worry about like, you know, somebody else outside of your team. Just start looking at it and working it from like a self-aid, buddy aid, you know, your IFAC kits on your body, like maybe start integrating the medic on your team that's moving with you. But it really is that first step to like, you know, treating your team like your buddies out there, like save their lives first and start working that problem with your integrated CQB training. Right. And I think, you know, that's one of the things you brought up is, you know, from a med standpoint, you don't have to have these complex, crazy ass scenarios all the time. Just build them into what you do every day. If you're doing some CTV runs, you know, and, and you got an hour slotted just to do that, you know, throw casualties into it, throw a casualty into it, you know, throw it at the breach point, throw it at whatever inside. And it doesn't have to be complex. It's a quick MAR uh, assessment, deal with what you have and keep moving, right? Yeah. Doing multiple things at one time until you can smooth it out, man. It's just as simple as like you guys got, everyone's got their kit. It's just breaking into that kit, knowing where the pieces are and become familiar with how to stick them on to an actual injured person. And so that's all it is. Like, hey, he shot through the arm and it went to his like ribs or something like that. So yeah. now you're going to turn it on there and now you're going to have to work the chest seal. Right. And that's it. Then just get him out of the building, put him in a litter, and then you're done with it. Like that's, and then from there, you just get more complex. Yeah, and is, is you, you know, when you want to do full mission profiles or things like this, you've already got a ton of reps of just doing some simple type of straightforward modalities and and we talked about rescue where if you're on a second or you're on a third floor then just throw them out the window man right yeah, i'm just working put them on a monitor hitch get pull out that kit real quick and uh and just put them down man so you you get your basically you know your access and access in the in the portion in there you do a quick assessment and stabilization uh which may just be putting a tourniquet on you know doing something for the chest you know something with a positional airway uh package them real quick extract them put them out the window and keep moving yeah and it's like and once you start getting better and more proficient at it you can start adding complexity to what you want your guys to use to treat with yeah you know like at first like just do, cutting off clothes putting like chest seals on that's complicated because you don't do it 
like, over time, like you can get more comfortable doing it. You can do it fast. You can be more reliable. So now it might be like, hey, like all the bandwidth isn't used up for that. So now maybe the metrics are like, hey, like you guys rock this. Like let's start looking at you guys doing needle D's in case I can't get there. Right. So now you can do another life saving procedure because you're comfortable with the first parts of that. Because you got to get your props, yeah. cops trying to snatch my crops. Pigs. Yeah. Trying Damn. to burn my house down. A little Cypress Hill for everybody there. So yeah, that's uh, that's it. It doesn't have to be problematic. Man. It doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to build this crazy thing into it. And I think the biggest part of it is it should build into that whole spectrum of your assault. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it's not just like, hey, now let's turn off the CQB. Let's turn on the med. Nope. Let's turn on the rescue. Let's go back to CQB. You keep it, running. It, you just keep running, man. And and if you're slower, then keep training until it doesn't become a perturbation in your, you know, it doesn't become a, a speed bump in it. It just goes smooth. Yep. And then at a certain point, like, you know, a lot of guys are kind of hesitant to do like the medical part. They're like, ah, it's not my job. It's like BS. But hey, man, like, you know, self-aid, buddy aid, that's on you guys. That's you kind know? of a thing. That's like, yeah, that, that's your life-saving steps, man. You got to be like Johnny on the spot with that stuff for your boys. Like you got to be able to take care of that stuff. And as soon as you guys kind of get past that threshold of where, you know, that they're starting to do it without thinking, they're kind of like in that like knowledge-based operation system, like where they can just make it happen. They know what they're doing. Then you can start adding complexity with the training scenario. Like, Hey, some guy goes down at the breach. How do we work that problem? Cause we're not clear with the target yet. You know, like in start, then the complexity just gets on it and then it starts to get fun because you're problem solving while you're doing CQB runs and it's, you know, your mind's thinking you're solving problems and training's better. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. Is So I was just reading this thing. You and I talked about it, but uh, it was this journal entry that I have it over here, man, that was it? It was Mark Twight uh, was talking to uh, Brian Enos, man, a very established shooter from back in the uh, Lutham days. I think it was him and uh, Rob were winning most of the shooting competitions out there. But he brought up a good point, man, that, that we kind of live by, but I think they said it in a much clearer way than what we do, is we've gotten onto the stimulus response kick, which I think is good, right? And a lot of that came back from, you know, Grossman, and I, I will get some hate mails from, from things like this. You know, love myself some Dave, man. You know, he's good, good dude. But I think if we take it out of context, I think stimulus response, right? That we, we train on that because, oh, we shift in midbrain and, you know, this is, you know, we're going to become retarded when we do this and blah, blah, blah. It's got to be simple. It's got to be rehearsed. The problem is, is those stimulus responses can create a lot of training scars that don't equate well into real world operations. And instead of, you know, when this happens, I do this. When this happens, I do this. And the problem with that is you stop. We can't predict what, what's going to happen. We can't predict what the no, other like, factors are in the environment. So what you're training on may not be correct for that environment, right? Because we, don't, we have all the unknowns that are going on in there, and we don't know if we do have the capability of what your response is going to be for. And so you know, we saw that you know, if you look at uh, some of the stuff we did years ago with the 68 Whiskey program, uh, at one point they actually had a training video where they had a guy shot in the middle of the street, and it was back in the, the kind of Iraq period. And so we went down there, and we're doing some other work at, at Fort Sam, and they're showing us this video. And here's uh, injured, you know, conventional army dude in the middle of the street and it comes running out into the middle of the street and uh, literally starts doing an assessment in the middle of the street where this guy just got shot and applies a tourniquet and spins literally in a god like you're you're kind of crunching as you're watching this type of, of video going on this training video where that that may not be the place to be doing that. To be doing that, maybe, you know? But that was their stimulus response. Dude's down, I'm running in, I'm assessing where he's at, right in wide-ass open middle of the street where he just got shot, right? And and now I'm, I'm assessing him, and I find that that 
injury that I can apply a tourniquet. It's compressible injury, so I can apply a tourniquet to it. And now I'm pulling out the tourniquet and I'm applying it. And you're like, oh my god, dude! Like, you might have wanted just to like have some some sort of cover and drag him out of that area if you decide to do that rescue there. If it's not him doing something. What's awesome about that? Like, I'm just talking about this is because you know we started talking about the access, assess, stabilize, and then extract. Like, that's that whole care under fire, like right there. That's like T Triple C. We're care under fire. And so if you start like thinking about what you got to do, like just take that pause and be like, how do I accept, I get access to him and not get shot in this process? Like, right. it's like you're just applying, that's a system that needs to be applied. And, and, like, and I think the big part about it is we apply this to um, that presentation we're given on that. And at no point, you know, when we talk about, oh, access, assess and stabilize, extract, and then evacuate, that, that's, those are, those are just pillars of a framework. They're not meant to be in that order necessarily. So in the case that we just gave, yeah, I have an access thing. I gotta, gotta get to him, but I may want to extract before I assess and stabilize because yeah. where he's down is not an awesome it's not place. A place. So if, we, if yeah. we figure we can get an extraction out in there without killing everybody, then that I'm probably going to need to extract before I get them to the assess and stabilize. And at the same time, if I don't have an access problem, once I get to a CCP and I do an assess and stabilize, I start to extract, that may be the access where I want to access a different egress point that's much closer to, to my evacuation platform, or whether it's a vehicle or whatever it is. There's a way quicker out of that building that I may need to breach yeah. to get out than going back the same way that we yeah. originally It's like in. just talking about like really hasty, like busting out a window on a second story, just like throwing casualties out there real fast. You're done then. Right. Like. So my access for my patient, yeah. like I just created it after I assess and stabilize and package them and now we're extracting them out of window. Yeah. So it doesn't go in that linear mindset because linearity doesn't really work in there. But they brought up some good points and let me see, just to quote what he said on there is uh, the habitual response to stimulus prevents a new and fresh relationship with the environment and with you know taking out your feelings and what the environment's giving to you. It says over time I learned to tune my sensitivity to respond to stimulus as it was and as I was in that moment than reciting something by route memorization. And I think that's huge, right? Because if if we did that, we talked about using that for bailouts. So if we, we start training people onto bailout techniques, it's kind of interesting because we, we mentioned on that last podcast when we ran that into, we had a scenario and then we surprised them in the middle of it. We by, switched gears on their momentum. We switched gears, right? And made them have to kind of gave yeah. the bailout call for them. And all of a sudden they're kind of a little bit like deer in a headlight for yeah. a second, right? And then they got to the ground like, what the hell, man? Like I had this whole plan going and that was the perturbation and it's just screwed us up, right? But at the same time, if we're trying to teach people to do that, you know, even if we're walking through a building and I think David and I were talking about this is when we're talking, walking through a building with people as we're going through these rooms and, and seeing things is go a couple rooms past where a window was and be like, hey guys, like if you got a call for a bailout right now, where's the last, what's the closest place? What was the last room you went through that had a, a window? You know, and they're like, oh, shit, man. You know, and it's not that when you're doing CQB or something, your eyes are still seeing things. You just have to train them to look at a couple other things. So if you're the dude with the rope, like, you might want to go through and be like, oh, check it out. I remember back, you know, before thermal and stuff like that in the fire service, you know, we'd be doing right-handed, left-handed search patterns, and I'd be feeling up on the on the wall, up and down, feeling for a window. And as soon as I felt one, as I move forward, I know that that's my last egress point. If shit goes awry, yeah. right? And then when I feel another window, I'm like, okay, cool. Now I got a closer one. And, and that, that was just a mental process. Now, I'm still feeling the wall on there, but now whenever I feel that one thing or when my eye sees something, I make a mental note. Like, that's my last one. And not only that, then, you know, what's my anchor going to be? And by training your brain just to, like, accept those things, those red flags, like, boom, window, okay, that's my egress point. You know, now we're going on the second floor. You know, it's kind of, I'm going to throw this out there. You can throw it back at me if you don't think it works. But, like, this is making me think of, like, you know, 
way back in the day going through Marine Corps sniper school. We used to do Kim's games. So keep in memory. Yep. And it's like they put you under stress, they stress you out, and then there's like all these little things they throw on the ground. Mm-hmm. And like while you're like, you've been running, like they're smoking you. I'm not going to say you're being hazed because we don't, that never happened back in the right. 90s in the Marine Corps. Those blood winged things, like whatever. <laughs> Nobody cares about that. Clinton was there, so that didn't happen anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's happened. like you got these things. It's like you got to memorize them, like the shape, the color, the, you have to, it's, you know, you have to put it in your head and commit it to memory, like right. really quick. And like they could pop the game anywhere. Like you could be running between 900 to like a thousand yard line in the middle of like a stress shoot and they'll be like throw it on the ground it's like oh you got here you go and then at any point down the road you have to have paper and pencil ready and they'll just be like your time starts now and you gotta be able to recall that stuff and throw it out it's just that's it and like it is and that's exactly right what's funny is we start building that into doing like um UC or low vis type stuff too is it's just that situation awareness of stuff your eyes see should take a new perspective on it so when you walk in that room and you see you know the wood frame right immediately a wood frame on a picture on a wall should equal like four windlasses for you right and things like that because you're going to be improving all of your med and improving all of your rescue gear in those situations is is going through there and then we're like all right what did you see that you could improv you know in that room and you'd hear people but then all of a sudden you give them a little bit of training on it and now they're looking at a lot of stuff and we'd have people with their little notebooks like every dude rolls around with uh and we'd be like just sit and you know you're sitting waiting for your flight in an airport like look around and say just pray out march linear down that thing and write out everything that you would address that's right around you in that airport that would be for massive bleeding for airway for respirations how would you improvise your entire med or rescue kit <laughs> off of what you have there or in a theater or in the cab or in that airplane yeah. and it's surprising how much shit you really have that you can do effective Improvisation yeah. off of if you need to, and like little stuff like that is stuff you can like. It might not be a full CQB run, but it might just be a fun day, like where you set up some like competition course where it's like you're running through some house or you're doing something, and it's like you got like one stage where you have to like go back down, and you know maybe you saw the rope, maybe you saw the, you know the junk in there, but you get the top, you go back down. Now you got to solve rescue problem, right? And just like kind of like just you know just working the training, making it more fun, making you know the mind think a little bit, and kind of. Looking for those little access points, egress points. That's it, man. And I think that actually builds into something we'll go out of order, which works out perfectly with both of our ADHDs, is is what is rescue since we're talking about it. And I think that's one of the big things. It's talking to Brennan and some of these agencies that want to develop a rescue capability or a vertical capability, but see it as this mountain of, like, we don't have time and resources of personnel to dedicate to be that uber-focused at just one specific thing. Like vertical rescue, let's say. Yeah. Or if you're going to look at some model, like some of the larger departments, looking at a model that's like a ESU type of model where not only are they doing vertical, but they're also getting into vehicle extrication type stuff, uh, getting into collapse structure, uh, which anybody with a freaking fest bomb could create at a moment's notice, uh, a confined space or anything like that. It looks overwhelming to that police department. It looks overwhelming to a fire department to get more than a tech team out there. But I think it begs the question of like, what is rescue? And I think that's where we're digged up. Yeah. And and it's funny because, like, you, I mean, I, we even talking to some of the guys, like, oh, like, it's a rescue problem. They're like, we don't do rescue that. We have to move the fire. But it's like, it's like your dude fell down a hole. Like, you're not going to go get him. But, it's like, well, if it's rescue, we don't do rescue. It's like, it's, okay, it's like political sensitivity on words. Like, it is. It's like, oh my God, he said rescue. <laughs> it's offensive. I feel funny where I speak. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but then that's a good point. And so I think the big part that people need to realize is rescue is whatever the hell you want it to be, right? Yeah, um, one end of that spectrum can be tech rescue. We're using a bunch of big shit that you really don't need, a bunch of redundancy that most times you don't need. 12 and a half millimeter rope, steel carabiners, all that. That's one small slice of a pie of rescue for a very specific group. But when you go in and you look at, let's you know, just research some of the rescues that occur in like mountain rescue, 
or in climbing rescue, or more specifically, look at expedition rescue. Look at some of the rescues that have been done on parts of Everest, and tell me what kind of gear they're using, right? And if you're going to tell me like that's not rescue compared to like fire department rescue, like I'll call bullshit on that all fucking day, man. You know, when you're having to manufacture shit out of some fucking nylon slings and all they have is is webbing and and maybe a carabiner or two, and they're conducting literally rescues where the oxygen is so low that your cells are dying as you're you're doing this it's it's and that is that is sketchy ass rescue yeah. and when you go across that thing you know if even if you want to go back to the day i mean we'll put a link to this but you know look at the rescues done uh what was that like 90 was it 91 with the and i, I know i've showed it i showed it in the in a lot of our, our classes man with the meat anchors of what went on I with meat, FD, anchors. meat anchors fd and y is that i mean that was incredible they went up there they had a guy on the 15th floor that was jumping out they had no anchors at the top and they pulled off two back-to-back rescues that were just balls out awesome man yeah. and uh you know dude laid on his back and this was like the old school it was before kern mantle rope and it was like the lifeline you know which is a shit you buy at lowe's or whatever now and did a three wrap on a carabiner two dudes laid on top of them and they sent a guy over the top and and that guy was getting ready to jump out the window from the smoke and jump right on it and just like shock loaded that whole system but it, it's just an incredible it was back uh you guys pull it up google like what was it rescue 911 the one with the star trek guy man william shatner uh used to host back in the day man and uh as fdny rope rescue was incredible but you know i mean they didn't have shit that they needed but they had no time they had to go and they did and it was balls to the wall it was awesome uh so when you look at rescue what i mean what and is then even like you know it's like you're still like that's still almost kind of like technical stuff like like simple rescues like hey there's a car accident like and you're just a you know someone driving down the road and like you see a hazard someone's unconscious or you know kind of at it and you grab and you drag them away from that danger yeah that's a rescue i mean that's absolutely man. that's it like you're removing somebody from a toxic environment that's like, it that, you know that's, that's all what you have is. available is all you have available man and so I would even say, like, when we do stuff, when we're doing pre-deployments and stuff, we brought up this last time a little bit with, uh, like, the high-lift jacks, and we started using those, and they, they became our primaries because they're yeah. more efficient for it us. It works better than, like, expensive stuff. Exactly. And so, it, you know, by, by looking at that, you still follow a lot of the same principles, man. So if we're using a high-lift jack and, and literally type 1, type 2 levers doing a collapsed structure using parts of the building, we still follow the principle of somebody using higher low-pressure bags it's, and all this other shit, right? You lift an inch, crib an inch, I've got a, you know, crib over here. I've got to secure this area. You know, I'm looking for cracks and you're still doing all the same stuff. And so I'd almost say that like the more shit you're able to take away and use like organic stuff, the more Yoda you actually freaking are because you've got to like, you've got to understand the shit. You become an artist. You do become an artist. You're an artist. It's really an art form. It's a a Picasso. It's not really science and physics. It's more like art. It is an art form. It's a craft. You look at like how it happens. You're like, man, you are an artist. Yeah. You apply that. That's not a mechanical advantage. That's So your canvas would be what? The canvas? Yeah. Man, like what would it be? It could be. I'm thinking it could be a couple things, but you know, I think my canvas is shit. I'm blindsided. I don't know what the canvas is. Yeah, I know. My, I, I know what my. I know what my paints are. I kind of feel like I know what my paints this are. This is the canvas. Your, the face. The look. It is. It is. Look, like, yeah. Maybe it's your eyes. It's it the, might be like the, yeah, the it's stare. The eye of the tiger. Like when I do the the one eyebrow up. That is a good one. You know what? That brings us to another part um, is your fascination with ocelots. Yes. Ocelots right now. So for anybody not knowing what that is, you do have uh, – you went to to go get a pair of shoes. You walked out with a leopard suit. Yeah, I did. Yeah. An adult onesie. It is. And I rode my Italian motorcycle with it. We have to post a picture of that. Well, okay, so – We should actually do a better one. You really? We could. We could. We should get Brandon. How do you you feel about putting out your your IG, your personal IG thing? Because there's a picture of it. 
Yeah, we put, put a link on it, yeah. All right. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, we'll yeah. have to put your personal, because there is pictures of you on your Ducati mm-hmm. in your Ocelot yep. outfit. So for everybody, just real quick, because it makes no difference whatsoever what we're talking about right now, but we'll try and tie it in yeah, some way. Some way. At some point, is, we'll get describe there. The, describe the Ocelot, man. It is like a house cat, but it's just like way more impressive. It's it's pretty goddamn badass. It is. Like they, they rip out jugulars. Yeah. Yeah, they seem kind of they seem fucking vicious as Yeah, and they're man. and they're not legal in the state of South Carolina. But I think in North Carolina I could get one. Because you want one. Uh, yeah. I want it well, I want to get one and I want to train as a service dog for my PTSD. Okay. So when I'm starting to get like pissed off waiting in line at, you know, Harris Teeter trying to get a sandwich and the old lady keeps like sampling a piece or of meat. Or LAX Airport. Or LAX, yeah. It, I can just like train it to go and like rip the jugglers out and right. now I'm for some line. And you feel better. And I'm not agitated. I'm like, yeah, those stupid people are not in front of me anymore. Nor, nor do they have yeah. a heartbeat. No. Right. It's like, oh, I'm at TSA screening. I'm supposed to take off my shoes and pull my laptop? Yeah. Wow, well, this is all new. Yeah, this is my friend. Yeah. He's my service animal. He is. He's got like this little, it'll be like a cute little vest. I'm not going to do the tactical. Right. Because I want people to be like, oh, he's so cute. Right, right, right. And I'm going to have like one of those quick release leashes, like the like the, like the Maybe like a sweater vest. Like take a tactical vest, but make it look like a sweater vest. A sweater vest, like, like a yeah. V-neck? Yeah. And have him to stand up on his like hind legs and walk. Yeah, and like like puppy dog eyes. We're, like Peter's going to ban this weapon. Your fucking hand off the no, second. Peter's not going to like this, man. We should Peter's, stop. Yeah, that's a good. Point. They're going to blacklist us. They could. <laughs> Shit. I'm not going to be able to adopt a dog or anything. Yeah, but basically it's a leopard, but mini. It's a yeah. mini leopard. Mini leopard. Yeah. Something like that. That'll yeah. eat you, and call your face. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, uh, look into that, people. Um, and you were saying, could do you think it could take the place of? Like, like a mountain wall. Like, I think yeah. these could be, like, the next, like... Next level. Yeah. Like, I mean, send them to the breach. Right. Okay. I mean, they can climb trees. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like, okay. they could take out, like, who knows? Like... You could... It, oh, obviously, I was thinking we could train them to climb trees and jump on drones and attack the drones. It's a counter-drone measure. Yep. It's fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. The other side of it, think about this. We're talking about setting up drones to use that mini Bella, right, to yeah. set up our ascending lines on yeah. buildings. Right? We have them climb a tree, jump onto the building... Set up our fucking ascending rope. Nice. What about this? Okay. What if we took an ocelot? Yep. And got a pig costume. Yep. And put him in that. And send him into the countries that were at war. <laughs> Imagine what ISIS would do if they saw a bunch of leopards in pig suits, suits. chasing them. Oh, it's just smelling their fucking jugglers. Yeah. It'd be horrible. I love that. Yeah. Okay. That's good stuff. All right. All right. So moving on to things. So we brought the ocelot into the rescue. So rescue really, and that's the thing is, is, you know, we did this. I always give props out to the guy who, who brought this on to us, but we're always motivated. To, we expand what we think we can do all the time with people that have very, that work in really bad areas, man. Right. So when we started doing the webbing, it was because of, of uh, Josh, man, you know, and uh, he's like, dude, we're going to. What can we do with just webbing, like webbing, right? And if anybody out there, you know, probably one of the best things you can do if you're, you have any room in a pocket, man, is just get 20, 22 feet of, of tubular webbing, man. Have that thing. Don't tie it into a, a, a halo. Yeah, don't, don't tie it. You can do that very quickly, right? So keep it uh, untied, just rolled up in a loop, and, uh, you know, throw it, in a, throw it in a med glove or something like that if it, to keep it from unraveling or whatever. But the shit you can do with 22 feet of webbing, especially if there's two or three of you. So we came up with a way that we can just tie those together and and bail out using that so fast, so quick, and you don't have to pass the knot, right? Nope. If you if you do it a specific right way, way yeah. super way, and it's super easy. It's it's probably the easiest way to do it. 
is what works the best. Yeah. And so we can lower anybody. And so if you got 22, I got 22, David's got 22, we've got almost a six story capability at that yeah. point, right? So five stories, we got that pretty much money. And, uh, and all you got to remember is which way to wrap on the carabiner. That's it's it. amazing. Like That's it, man. And, and so when you wrap that thing, you know, using a, using you know an EDK or, or offset overhand, you know, it, it, it slides through without an, even an issue. But the rescues you can do with just that is you've got 22, I got 22, he's got 22. Just the vertical capabilities of bailing out and lowering any casualties with just that was cakewalk. We did it with canine guys using their leashes and tying them together, yep. and uh, they're like, "Holy shit!" But so easy. But that is that is badass rescue. That is rescue. I don't give a shit who you are. I mean, you are getting people out now with what you have on you. And I would challenge anybody to say, oh, rescue is, you know, it's years of learning and it's all the stuff. Like, yeah, we've done years. But what's so funny is I look at all the literally decades of rescue that I've done. And I'm like, how much of that was so wasted on just stupid shit that actually doesn't even, it was theoretical in nature yeah. for the most part, right? That, that really didn't even make a difference for, for what we do now. But going into that, right, let's talk about like finding your team's weakness, understanding it. And it's like embracing the stuff you're shitty at. You've got to embrace it and take a different cultural mindset towards what you are not good at if you're going to not suck at what you do. Yep. Before we go there, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because I'm going to forget again and talk about moonwalk, it. But moonwalk. So we're talking about uh, <laughs> working in the uh, self-aid buddy aid to yeah. so like your team's capabilities and training. Uh, one big part of that that people don't think about is the budget for the IFAX. Yeah. And it's like, you know, just like you have a budget for all the ammunition for your primary weapon, your secondary weapon, it's like have a budget for your IFAX. So like once or twice a week, just whatever that's, whatever you guys want to do, you're buying it. And then what's going to come out of that is like one, you're going to get more competency with the training. And then once you get done, you're going to be able to sit down as a team like, hey, like that kit wasn't set up right. Like we need this, this, and this in there. So now you're gonna be able to start tailoring the contents of your kit to work for how you guys are working. So no, it's kind of like you're doing like R and D and like problem solving at the same time and getting better at. It. So that's, that, that, a, that's a good call, man. And, and I think uh, you know, one point, you know, if you look at like let's just say tourniquets for instance. You should have some stuff set aside for your tourniquets that are training in. And I understand, like, they made blue ones that are the same ones as the regular ones, but they're blue to designate training and stuff like this. But we just got that uh, shipment to, um, I think it was Mark Fridley, man, is is linked up with the guys up at um, NYPD. And so they use all the, the soft TWs and stuff like that. And they rotate them out after... X amount of uses or time periods usually yeah. is what it is because they have consistent classes that they roll through with ungodly amounts of people. But they sent some back to them that I was looking at that have like five, six, seven thousand uses yep. on them, and we're still using them. Dave yeah. and I were doing brake tests on them, and they're brake testing like freaking insane, yeah. you know. And so, you know, That's if you're using certain stuff, like make sure that you dedicate that as training. But uh, like the soft uh, TY, man, like I am, like it, you just pull it off your kit and you can train with it and throw it back on. Like yeah, I've got no problem. It with literally this. is like it's awesome. It's the AK-47, right? A uh, buddy of mine, for, former Ranger Regiment, said is like the AK-47 of tourniquets. Like you can treat that thing terrible. Uh, like it's in prison with you and like you're not breaking it, man, you know? So, you know, be conscious of of what you're doing, but you know, as far as all the other stuff, you know, some of that crap, your ETDs and, and stuff like that, you can just repackage and, and, you know, probably like one of the greatest things too, is like for any TAC med group that's out there, man, just get a Ziploc vacuum sealer too. So you can take that shit, refold your shit back on and, and throw that in. If you're not like a dedicated medic, like it blows guys away. It's like, how do you do this? It's like, I just vacuum pack it, man. Like, really? It's like, yeah, you just vacuum pack your kit. Stick it in there. That's it's it. like damn. Like that's we should buy a vacuum packer. It is, man. 
yeah. it's well worth its money. Like, it's like I, I hear that noise, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. like man, a bunch of medics making life saving equipment. Like, <laughs> that's that's what I think when I hear that's Mac America right there. Yeah. It's America, and uh, and we're vacuum sealing the shit out of our rescue stuff now too. I know. Man. So it's we'll get, talk about get, that. At it's the getting end. funky. It is getting pretty funky, man. Like we'll have to put some pictures up as soon as it goes live with the new kits. But uh, okay, so finding your team's weakness and going after it. So you know, in the end, it's like you always say, like you gotta, you know, pack your pack your shit that you think you need, um, test your shit, and then fix your shit. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's kind of it, man. Is we we train on a lot of stuff that we're really good at a lot of times. Yeah. And and we kind of gloss over stuff that we may suck. When in reality, I think you have know, taken this to the extent. Of like Taleb or somebody like that, um, you know, Black Swan and and pulled by randomness and all that. He's an incredible author, but you know he talks about the dude's library man, and he's like, you know, it's more important to hit on what you don't know than what you do know, because if you know it, like you need to keep sustaining it. But what's way more important is is what you suck at, yeah. and I think that's the thing is you need to like change the culture of saying, hey, we need to embrace those things that we aren't awesome at, that we aren't sucking at, realizing that you're never going to be awesome. Like that word should never come out of anybody's mouth. Like I have totally got this nailed out. Yeah. Right. Cause that's right before you look like an idiot. But, but also when you look at that too, don't, don't focus on overcomplicated yep. problems. Like, I mean, we were talking with, uh, it was Todd, right? From down in Florida. Yeah, 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 and he yeah. were talking about like how to train the guys. Like what he's like, well, I want to get the guys. How do we integrate with like the medical and the fire department? I was like, man, like if you just train that self-aid buddy aid and then do that really well, guess what? All of a sudden there's a big CCP, your guys run up there and whoever like the FD guys can be like, hey, like check that guy, check that guy. It's the same skill. Like now you just integrate into a bigger system because you mastered, you know, basic foundational skills. Yeah, that's a good point, man. So there's this book out there, um, and since I'm flying all over the place, I've gotten like into less reading and more into Audible books, man, just so I don't have to fill my backpack up with shit. But uh, there's a book called Micro Mastery, and it's by some UK dude. Um, it's really good. But it's, it's an interesting concept in that he applies it to everything from like martial arts to cooking to freaking whatever. And it, it's cool because if I'm looking at rescue as a problem, and it seems overwhelming, man, right? Because I'm looking, okay, am I talking rope rescue? Am I talking? confined space, structural collapse, am I talking vehicle extrication, am I swift water, like what am I doing, is his micro-mastery concept is is pretty ingenious, and we do that to a certain extent in what we do across the board with within soft, whether it's civilian or military or whatever. If we take the problem and say, okay, what what problem do we want to address first? And if we look at rescue as a whole, we just break it down and say, you know what, we need to have a bailout capability, yeah. right? So in bailout, I'm learning quick anchors, urban anchors, right? Mm-hmm. I'm learning a bunch on friction, right? Yep. It's like, how do I get enough get friction? Get those angles for, on it to like... Exactly, yeah. your body weight or my body weight or what's our body weight with kid on or whatever. How much is our casualty going to be potentially? So I need to know about friction to be able to get myself out, right? Yep. And so so now I'm learning the angles and how to do a soft start out of a window so I don't wake my anchor if it's a shitty yeah. anchor or something, right? And where my weight goes over that 90 degree corner and, and how I can get myself without dynamically loading shit and then get myself safely to the ground. So that's one thing, and it, it, it doesn't take long to master. That's a very, very quick asset. But then once you have that micro-mastery of that, then we're like, hey, should we add, like, casualty, like, extractions? Like, what if I have to lower a casualty? Well, you know what? It's the same freaking thing now. Now you just transfer it, and so now you're controlling the same descent device you were when you were lowering yourself, but now you're lowering them, else down, right? Yeah. And so it's same principles. The friction that you're getting over that 90-degree edge is actually helping you in a lower, you know? And so those concepts are so easily moved laterally 
really like tangentially and downstream that when you start looking at some of the micro mastery stuff it's it's very simplistic but it's got a it's got a, a very broad application when you want to expand your capabilities and I think that's a really good concept uh, and even Ehrlich talks about it in his book uh, Chris Pipe sent to me man on, on being able to focus you know looking 30,000 but focusing in small at something that has a lot of cross-pollination if you yeah. will and I like with stuff like that too it's just like the training side I can't remember if we talked about last time but it's like taking away all of like the stops like if you're training contingency and like you know this type of stuff you know don't use the safety rope you know right. don't like actually try it and get down and do it and that way you're comfortable so when time comes you're not like the first time going over the edge on this thing you know like you want to make sure you're comfortable doing it because it's not really sketchy right what if you do it? No, I, I, exactly. And I think if we can if we can accept that weakness, I think the biggest part with hitting in those operational gaps where you're like, all right, we need this capability, but we're not there yet. Instead of just saying, hey, we need a rope team now, yeah. is is you need to build that up with certain benchmarks where you're like, okay, we need a vertical team. Well, you know, let's just start at a vertical vertical team for just access, yeah. and then from access, build that into this, build it into this. Have these benchmarks along the way instead of just this. Or else you become a, a lot of times when people identify a weakness, they don't identify the steps it takes to bridge that gap. Yeah. So every training that you do, whether it's for five minutes or whether it's an eight hour training, should have an outcome. Yeah. Like, what are we going to get out of doing this? So let's design this training to Based focus. On what we want. Exactly. Yeah. To focus on what it is, or else you become like a dog chasing its tail, man. It's like two dogs hunting. You got to hit them with water. You got to cardiovert yeah. this reentry pathway of silliness. It's funny on. to watch, but when it you're is. doing it, it kind of sucks. And you just train. You're like, oh, shit, man, I'm training, though. Yeah. Like, I'm sweating my ass off, throwing up in my gas mask. Yeah, like, yeah. We're doing this thing. And you're like, what are you really actually doing, yeah. man? Like, what's the problem you're solving? Like, what's the gap you're like? Yeah. Exactly. And, and go back to, to this thing. Mark Twight was talking about with mountain biking is like dudes in physical shape like through the roof right and so he's gonna do this long ass uh, mountain bike race right this almost adventure race thing on on a mountain bike uh, that would go on for like days on end in the end he realized like a couple gaps that were in there is yeah he had the physical strength and endurance to do it all day long except it wasn't in the context of the mountain bike he didn't have a lot of pedal time right so when am I pedaling when am I not and what is my maneuvering ability on a trail and those are the things that like really enhance your capability so just being like psychotic athlete you know doesn't cut it right now you need to look into how do you specifically bridge those gaps and it might be like with that type of stuff it's like you're looking for the gap it's like how do we get there it's like well you know i'm getting worn out because i'm moving all over on the bike so like maybe it's like hey like let's work on the core right maybe that transitions over to like so that's the kind of gap analysis you're looking to do like what can i do now that's gonna have the most bang for the buck right. to get my whole capabilities higher. So that's what I think that's the training that when you identify that's what you're looking for is those one or two things that you can tweak that are going to make that weakness yeah, a little and, bit less. And this definitely isn't in our thing, but I think it's relevant. And you and I have talked about it a few times. But we were talking about techniques to, to, to not waste time to get where you need to be to, to make sure you're, you're on. And we talk about things like what we just did is, is as you train, if, it's, if that med problem is slowing you down a lot and it's not a difficult, complex problem, how do we build speed up, not only in med, but how do we build speed in, and let's say, bailout, yeah. right? And and how do we build speed to where if, if this gets called over the radio and we need to go, 
how can we build the speed up to get our team out onto the ground quickly as possible if we have one rope or two ropes or, or whatever that is. So the example you and I were talking about was was in one of these journals that we were reading on shooting, right? And and I think you were bringing up some stuff on CQB and, and certain methodologies that it's taught as far as like you learn that foundational, the foundational aspects of, yeah. of what are those principles. And so, you know, if I'm thinking bailout and you can kind of talk about shooting is if I'm thinking bailout, like I need to get at least a marginal anchor because I know even with a marginal yeah. anchor, I can affect corners and edges that I'm going out a window or the corner of, let's say I, I throw a carabiner with a double white bowling into a bathroom, right? And I throw that carabiner in there and slam the door. I know that even if I pull that rope tight, that that carabiner and that, that bulkier knot will jam at the bottom of that door if, if that's what I'm doing, right? And I'm waiting that, but I do know that right outside that door, I'm going to hit the door frame, right? So I've got a hard angle on there, depending on where my window is. It could be a 90 degree. Then I have the angle, because it's low, of the front end of either the parapet on the roof or it's the it's the front of the windowsill. And then going out the windowsill, I know I'll have a 90 degree going over that, right? Depending on whether it's wood, concrete, I'll have a different coefficient of friction. But I know that that 90 degree, I can get up to about 70% of my body weight on that angle before it touches my anchor, yeah. which is huge, right? Those are my principles of rapid acquisition of a of a anchor. If I know it's marginal, hit more angles. My rope touches more angles on the way to where my load will be out the window. Do not shock load it by, by straddling and keeping my left foot, keeping my weight from shock loading into that system and getting onto that, pendulum and getting down and not breaking and going, breaking and going. It's just as soon as I get to the speed I'm going, I'm staying at that speed all the way to my feet touch the ground, right? Yeah. Because anytime I stop and then go, I'm adding force onto my anchor, man, yeah. and everything in between. So if I'm, and then once I build that, then it's almost like go as fast as you fucking can until you find your groove. And so with shooting, it's very similar, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just basically like you're, you're working on those fundamentals, the key things. Like you go back down to like, you know, just dry firing. Yep. That's what you're doing. You can start dry firing. You know, like the, you know, the basic, like slow, relaxed trigger pull, like all those type of things, the fundamentals of shooting. And then once you get mastered like those and you're doing them really well, then you start adding speed on top of it. Mm-hmm. And then you just start adding speed until like you start getting a little bit loose and you're like, I, I'm not shooting where I need to. And then you just bring it back down and then kind of start working up again. And then maybe like you go back, you dry fire some more, you work on some more drills and you, you just get faster at it. That's it. You know, and I think, you know, going back, it was funny. I was reading this, uh, actually listened to this interview back in the day. Uh, there's this tennis guy, Andre Agassi, man, like huge bag, long hair and all this shit trained out of voluntaries in Florida and stuff. But it was funny because he was a, he was a small little dude, man. Like he was not a tall guy. And if you look at just physics and trick and you look like he had one of the hardest serves in tennis, which was hysterical. And you're like, how the hell does this little dude like do this? Right. The ball. And as it turns out, you know, Boletari's coach was like, Hey, listen, we taught him the fundamentals of what he needed to know, his stance, his hip movement, the toss, all the shit, the racket movement and stuff. And once he had those down, we just told him to hit as hard as you fucking can. And then you'll learn control. And so he's like, we didn't care if everybody went over the fence or in the net. But as he went, if they started going there, he'd back it off. And then he'd get control. And then he'd just start slamming the shit out of it. Until, and, and so there is almost no roof. Yeah. At that level, right? And and so, you know, the thing on, on tactical teams is, you know, only move as fast as you can accurately shoot. But that's such a limiting factor in most training paradigms because that just means that you'll always be pretty slow. Yeah. Like, how do you progress past that ceiling? And that's what most teams don't have, and it's the same thing with rescue, man. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's all, like, basic skills. Like, I mean, we talk about, like, the knots that we teach. Yeah. I mean, it's only, like, five knots. Yeah. But, like, it's, like, you get down to, like, the functional things that work. And then you just, like, get that fast, get that, like, knocked out, and then have it so ingrained that you can just, like, throw it out and, like, 
you can have that not like whatever's going on and then you can apply it to the problem yeah. and then so from there it's like then you just start problem solving and making it work and how would you approach like bringing in let's say new medics so you have these pretty hot shit medics that would that would come in and and literally every time that I would talk to them by the time we do rescue they literally would be like I suck so bad yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were at top of their you know, 18 deltas, you know, all these incredible medics. And then they get to, you know, this place and they're like, oh, God, I, I may not, I shouldn't probably be here. Like, yeah. I suck. But what is that technique of, you know, once they would get onto. To start to get in their groove a little how bit. How would you, once they get through everything, all this other training and stuff that, that you know, they have to do and whatever, but once it comes time to like, all right, now you've got to create a craft. Like, this is your craft. How do you get them from that level of, of where they were to where they need to be? It kind of depends on, like, what's, what system you're plugging into. Mm-hmm. But, like, what I think that makes the guys like shit hot is because you know the medicine it's not the medicine that you're doing it's the situation you're controlling it's the movement of the assets it's making key calls so I think what makes you really good at that job is contingency training you do contingency trainings and you work all different systems together so now that medic is a key or critical interface between like the medical problem the rescue problem you know the the you know moving assets the medevac kilos stuff like that like you're making calls that move all that stuff around I think that's where the stress comes in and that's where guys kind of like lose their mind a little bit Mm -hmm. so I think the training that is like crucial is to be able to have situational awareness and open up your optic optics so when you're sitting there treating somebody doing work like you see what's going on you can like you're consciously making decisions versus just acting right and I think it was funny so I because there's a lot of things going on that you gotta like it's there's a ton yeah Yeah, what's funny is like it comes up to this one you and I were doing some of the interviews for San Bernardino and so we'll you know I, I apologize now uh, but the the SWAT medic who yeah. was with San Bernardino, right, Ryan yeah. Starling, awesome dude. But what's funny is when we started kind of talking off the record a little with him, you know, he was kind of like, man, he's like, I really felt like I didn't do much. Yeah. And yeah, he was in, in the heat of a lot of that stuff, but felt like he didn't do much. But what was interesting is he did like exactly like what you, you're like, dude, that's exactly what you should do yeah. is if you commit in, then you probably aren't doing like you should be able to to be say at that thirty thousand foot view. And I always give the joke that you know a fire chief's not a fire chief if he picks up a hose line. Now he's yeah. just a fireman, right? Because yep. he's he's got his myopics on and that's it, and that's all he sees. He doesn't see the thirty thousand foot view. But being a, a medic like that, you you have a lot of and it goes back into self aid buddy aid man and, and having your operators and you know SWAT team guys shooters. If they can do those first steps, like and then guess you what can, you don't you have can to do. stay back and control. And, yeah. But you got your eyes on multiple things going on, yeah. and you're doing comms, you're doing asset moving, you're doing all these things. And if you've got to go in and do something advanced, you can go in and then have them maintain it, yep. right? So you go in and do an advanced airway, let's say, or whatever, and then you're able to back out and let them start managing yep. that as you're still I mean, working the problem. Yeah, like, I mean, the, like the one thing that you can train that really helps and like guys never want to do it because it, it sucks, this is mass cow training. Yeah. You know, like more, like, you know, six, seven patients, like two medics, and like now you're working like your supply problem, you're working like moving the, like that takes people. Like now your troop sergeant major, whoever's there, is like working the security, moving guys around. Like now you're work tax, like a lot of systems are getting taxed with that. And that's where your wheels are going to start to come off with like, especially like the communication. Like, and the, you know, that's a big thing with it. And what's interesting about that is if you ran a drill and, and you're, you do it for real because on a CCP, it's it's one of those things that uh, that has so many moving.
moving parts that can become so complex, so quick, so chaotic that you've got to, you know, break down those bifurcations to start trying to create clarity out of this chaos. But if you did nothing but train on that, the side effects of that is your regular day-to-day patient care type of thing easy. is going to be improved yeah. dramatically, yeah. you know, because the, and I think that's the key on the training, especially in weaknesses, is if you can train to something that when you're training to that, that has direct impact on stuff you do day-to-day or those, those yeah. oh, I only took one casualty, man, that was super easy yep. And it's like, get, like you do those big things, like you're working through all of your gear, working through all your kit, and now you're going to start like reevaluating, like this needs to be moved here, like this needs to be there, and so now like when you get that simple situation, it's like Wow, that was. I'm done. Yeah, I'm out of here. Like you just drop the mic and like. That's it. We're done. It's like you know when we talked about like what is rescue, right? Um, so we do a lot of stuff for for a lot of different groups that that you know maybe doing low vis work or anything like this, and and you know everybody, a lot of people and stuff has moved into that realm. A lot of different organizations yeah. that that have some sort of low vis type of thing. And so, you know, we've done entire courses where everything medical, everything rescue is improv, right? So it's yep. it's what you find in your hotel room, an embassy, you know, say whatever, and you make that, you know, in a marketplace, in a plane, whatever, and how do you build an, an IFAC out of what's in front of what's you in there? a plane or what's or whatever. But, you know. How do we, we tie sheets together together? That's, and that's what I was going to say is once we do that, you know, now we, we figured out, and it took a little bit, but, you know, we figure out how do we tie bed sheets together? How do we cut them and make bed sheets together really quickly? What can we use, you know, and we start using. The, the extension cords that are found under the carpet in your hotel rooms. I, I'm with, starting to laugh right now. I remember Joe wanted to climb back up it. Oh, God. He's like, yeah. can we climb up this? Yes. And, and Joe is awesome. He's like, he looks like the Hulk. Oh, yeah, yeah, slightly and, the end. Yeah, he's huge. Like, you like, just don't yeah. want to. And like, so he's like climbing with like three stories. Oh, God. He's yeah. like, can we climb up? And he's like, now he's climbing these like bed sheets like Prince Charming to go to like save Rapunzel. Right. Like, and, it's just like, <laughs> and, that, and that's after like 20 people. And so now, gone we've, down, and now like, we've gotten damn. to the point where like we can literally cut and make these bed sheets coming out of the fourth floor, fifth floor, whatever, and we'll have 20, 30 people go down them, and then people go up them. We don't have any breaks on it, yep. man. But what's funny is, and then we're using, like, electrical cord with with uh, towels yep. from the bathroom into the inguinal creases so, so you don't get suspension trauma. Exactly, suspension <laughs> trauma or pinch your junk. And we're creating all these bailout systems and lowering systems for casualties based off just what's in your hotel room very quickly. Yeah. But, the, the, but the safety factor on turns out to be huge. huge. And so and it's just those principles, like learn the, the basics, the principles, mastering them, and then like just run with it. Exactly. And we were at uh, we were at a place called Guardian Centers, man, down in Georgia. And it was funny we were doing it for a small. Devin was there, yeah. right? And so we ended up finishing up on a lot of the stuff, and we did the bed sheet bailouts and and lowers with bed sheets. And we had a couple mannequins there, and he's like, "Hey, let's explode this shit." And we're like, "Cool, yeah." So it was nighttime. It was what like 11, 12 o'clock. David, we were out there, and so we bring the mannequin up. We tie the bed sheet off to a stair rail inside <laughs> and we put about what was it 10 feet of slack 10 feet of slack in the bed sheet and like four of us on this big heavy ass fucking mannequin just toss them out the window right and we're like we all step back just waiting for the explosion it's like Pook! and it caught him and we all looked at each other like are you shitting me and we looked down and he's just hanging there suspended right it caught him and we're like how in the fuck so now we're pissed so no hall system on a bed sheet right so it's all of us reaching hand over hand trying to bring this heavy ass deal up bring him up there and we're like all right screw how many this. how many of it was like three of you guys I know, there's what four of us, four of us. Ah, if, so you create a four to one. The, uh, well, kind of actually, yeah. none of our hands would be on at the same time. So it was like as soon as he pulls back, somebody else grabs it. it was it was it was lame. But we were so pissed, and so we brought it in. Then we put more slack in it, and we ended up 
never breaking it. We ended up having to take a knife and just start sawing through it to get the mannequin on the ground. We're like, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. But uh, And that was just with literally the cheapest bed sheets you can find, 200 thread count Walmart bed sheets that were turned into these systems. My point being is like, that's a rescue system, but what we learn off of that from how weights get distributed off edges and things like this impacts your entire regular rescue stuff. Yep. Like you learn so much. And I think we came back from that and we we're using like those rigging rubber bands, those half inch uh, parachute oh, yeah. rigging rubber bands as anchors, man, yeah. just to show like yep. how you load it. Like you could have this piece of shit rubber band actually on an anchor as you rappel yep. down. And it's captain rescue approved. It is captain rescue approved. We need captain rescue to make a call on yep. this thing. What else on there, man? Fix your shit, find your weakness, train after it. And you should like take pride in that. And I think one thing real quick is when you do AARs, you know, a lot of times in SWAT and FD and things like this, they tend to start training almost like, uh, like how you train a canine. Like they got to end on a positive note. Yeah. Like you got to find the drugs, you got to find the whatever. I think that's, that's bad, you know, because I can look back at the trains that we gained the most of as a team. And it was when like, when you, feel, ass. when you feel like a total failure in life, you do. Like, I'm never going to do this again because now you're. It's eating god at you. awful. It's, it is. You're. It's eating at you and things like this. But I think part of it is like you are never going to. People need to realize like when you do an AR, it, the words like man, we did great or that was awesome and stuff should probably never come out of your mouth. It, it's oh, it's yeah. one of those things like you should just always be like. At best, we did okay for this context. Yep. But once you get that overconfidence and you start being like, you start believing your own shit, you start believing like your story, man. Yep. Like, dude, then I think that's that's when that's when mediocrity, not even mediocrity, man. That's when compl- complacency yeah. kicks in. You know, and I can think of like certain AARs with certain organizations where I felt uncomfortable being in there. Like, yeah. I'm like, I don't even want to look up. Like, as hard as they are on each other, it's a witch hunt. It is a fucking witch like, hunt. And dudes are selling themselves out before somebody else gets on them. Like, <laughs> yeah. if they think they did anything even remotely close to marginal, they're like, all right, well, I fucked up on this, and you're like, holy shit, dude. Like, it's it's on, but it's brutally honest. You know, in HRO they call it a brutal audit. Um, but I think that you know, you walk away with like, and now it's like. You walk away, and then everyone kind of goes back to their own team room. Yep. And you sit down as a team. You're like, okay, how do we fix this? And it's like, and just, and that's that's what it is. And like, it's this exponential increase in possibilities, man. Yeah. And they, you're like, holy shit, man! Like, I mean, some of those things that we've worked is just, it's been incredible. It literally shouldn't have happened, but you know, it's it's. I think it's because no one believes the hype, yep. and just because you did good on this one doesn't mean the same thing put in a slightly different context it won't the wheels won't fall off yeah. and and so i think part of that is like just don't think you're awesome man like always i mean you will never reach where you need to be i remember like we we're doing this we're doing some uh we're jumping and we're using like the civilian rigs and one of the guys uh came back and it's like he was like hey i jumped and i couldn't reach back and grab it like i took him like three or four times you know so i but i finally got it but it was weird and so he just he brought it up like and every you know Everyone could have been like, what the hell's wrong with you? Like, the sailors kind of like, oh, really? Like, why? Like, what went wrong? And so then we started looking at it, and there are different parachutes, and the container sizing was tighter. So it's like, you know, like now everyone knew it's like, hey, go up, because, you know, at some point it could have been like a jumper with less experience right. that knew he was like a size, you know, C17 or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And he grabs it, and now he's reaching for his thing, and he can't get it, but, you know, because his container is two sizes smaller because it's a different parachute. Yeah. It's like little things like that, like just bring it up, and like it might be a, a sign that there's something else, like a, no, a bigger issue. Like, and you think it's like, oh, maybe my back was, like, yeah, who knows? And that's it. It's got to be a cultural change where, you know, you almost start embracing mistakes yeah. because it's potentially a small fire. Yep. It could be a big fire operationally yeah. that you're able to pick out in training, yep. and, and you need to address it. 
Even and you might not crazy. be the dicked up one. Like it might be something else is dicked up, and like yeah. now you just like fix the whole. You know, something exactly. bad could happen. But you're saying the same thing that like four other people just don't want to say. Yeah, and it, it could be a, a problem throughout the whole thing. Yeah. You know, whether that's how you're carrying something or how you're like pulling something or what you're, you know, whatever that is. All right, last thing, man. We're at 50 minutes. Is uh, is some of the special kits um, that we're doing? So we just kind of. I think hopefully these we'll have these what in like four weeks we'll be able to maybe show these things probably, here. Yeah. Probably within the next three weeks or so. Uh, we'll we'll have uh, Rescue Craft or Element or somebody throw some stuff on Instagram or whatever. So uh, we needed a, a more expedient way to carry some rescue kit. Some and access. S- some access, I guess extract. Extract yeah. and evacuation in and something that is just a grab and go capability. Yeah. And so uh, one of our friends keyed us onto something and we were kind of tweaking with something this a couple years ago and then this kind of developed into what we have here but it's basically about 3.9 pounds and it's got everything from casualty harness or you can use it as an anchor it's got a separate anchor in there everything to do basically up to uh five to one i guess or six to one so three to one all day five to one six to one depending on what your preferences is or the context of it any of your lowers any of your bailouts obviously your ma's um and it's about 3.9 pounds so it's kind of an assault sleeve type of thing and i mean if you look at it it looks about the same size as a large plate yeah Yep. Let me just to kind of give like a, a visual some, on this. Yeah. And the point is, is we the fortunate part about this is all these components. This is just kind of a new way of packaging it. Yep. So it's it's maneuvers across multiple aspects. So it can literally grab and go into almost any bag that you have, uh, whether it's a med bag or, or whatever the hell you're using from an M9 to something more, you know, the A med bag to something larger, and uh, just kind of a grab and go capability. And with that, I think we're covering a couple things. Is one from a let's say a soft side is the medic, yeah, he may be doing the evacuation. He may be setting up that system, that lowering system or something like this. Or he may be working on the casualty and he'll have some a vertical team or a climbing team supporting him. The beauty of it is is if you're the climbing team guy and that medic is dedicated into trying to work on this He's casualty. committed to his, his task at that time. To the task at hand is it's almost like cross-loading rescue gear now. Yep. So as you cross-load medical gear so your operators have IFACs and you aren't digging into your med shit as a medic to, to deal with an operator that goes down, you're using their IFAC and you've cross-loaded medical kit across that spectrum of the, the your battle space, your, your landscape, then you almost ha- have the same capability here because we mimic the same stuff that the climbing teams have. Exactly. So if they are going in without even taking a bag off the, the medic, he can just go in, grab the sleeve out, and he's got more of what he uses anyways to build whatever system that's going to be and the by the time that medic is ready to roll, like that shit's it's ready, to go. ready to go. It's like... Yeah. Um, so it's about 3.9 pounds packed with goodness, would you say goodness? I'd say amazing or awesome. Like, Yeah. It's like, it's like uh, it, you know what it looks like? It looks like somebody slipped and dropped it in a pile of sass. Really? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, and now what you have here is just sassy. It's, it's sass. It's almost smug. It is almost it's smug. It's a little smug because it's, it's, it's so pimp. Yeah, it is. It's a little, maybe it's a little <laughs> cocky. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, the other thing that we've been working on, I'll let you kind of talk about this too, is is uh, I know we did it. What was it, David? Was that on Element that we did a totem rack? Yeah. Okay, so on Element, if you go to like Element's Instagram, we did a totem rack and we really got into this. We've been using all these pieces and even this 3.9 kit. Um, the beauty of it is all those components in it, we use all the time. All the time this yep. is kind of just the new way of packaging it. But with the totem rack, we started doing that for some of the classes out in California, and it just picked up quickly. So it's and it was more of like you guys are using it as an instructor side. Like, how do I keep all my stuff to work all the problems in an easy to use thing that I can just grab yeah. and go, and I can look at it right off the bat and know I have everything. Yep. 
And it actually was before then we started using it in all our canyons. So we needed something because, uh, yeah. like, you are not taking an extra carabiner into a canyon, dude. Yeah. As narrow and shit as it is, hiking in and going through these slots, we ended up going, okay, what can I just hang in my bag? This is grab and go where I know what it is, where you're not going, oh, let me just take an extra carabiner, let me take this, let me just nonchalantly grabbing shit. Like you do in an eight bag, really. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, if I got one tourniquet, I can have seven, and if I need this, I need this. So we took a look at, like, what are definite capabilities that are needed to do not just our our repels and lowers and contingency Jeez, anchors, man. but what if we needed to do a rescue because you aren't getting any help in any uh, yeah. of the canyons out in Utah and Northwash or anything like that anytime soon. So we needed rescue involved in that, and so we just built a, a totem and built a rack out of it to start clipping yeah. carabiners with other accessories on it. And so, uh, yeah, and it's worked out really well because now students just, like, eat it up because yeah. then you're like, holy crap, this weighs nothing. I grab it. I, I whatever grab it. I got to do, I got to get that's Yeah, it. and I've got a carabiner in each hole on this thing, yeah. and that's my lowering and descent device as it is. And so it's all built together, so it's just kind of a grab-and-go yeah. capability. It's like I, we had them, and I was talking the other day to some of the rescue squadron guys out on the West Coast, and they're just like, man, like, that's what we need hanging on, like, every dude's locker so when when they get the call and they got to fly out you know and, and do their missions like they grab that and they know they have all the access it's like that's it that's my hardware yep like simple yeah. and then they get the rope kits and the other things that match whatever they're that's getting it. called to and like now they're not shuffling gear out of bags and really, to find it besides a totem rack all you need is the rope you decide to use yeah. that's it whatever yeah. length it is so we know that we can do multiple lower you know we can do obviously our own repels that we can add friction on the fly which is huge we can do lowers of one two person loads on lowers with it really easy but on top of that we can build our you know two to one three to one five to one six to one mechanical advantage on it uh we can turn around and on it we can do any not passing whether it's on repel or in a system we can do any ascending traditional or three to one ascending like across the board we we did it and how we kind of did it originally was like a dope book man so we wrote down what we took when with us and after the the canyons or the the scenarios or whatever we just kind of said all right what did we use what didn't we use what could we use more of what didn't we need and then we changed it and then did it again and then we're like oh shit we need to put this back because yeah. we needed that here and we didn't need this but you know and it just kind of was this evolution faster lighter faster lighter i'm Safer. older i don't want to carry shit so yeah, yeah that was kind of it mm-hmm. so yeah so if you get a chance you check out that uh the ig on element man and do that and i think uh tms or rescue craft will have uh something out now with Pretty that soon, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's probably this week yeah. we'll be kind of selling that as one piece of kit but it's already exists in one of the kits that we're selling now um, for the Cato thing for the out in California yeah. what else man I don't know man we, I think we hit all you know one through three but we just kind of jumped you guys think anything hit us up and we will do another one I guess next week maybe yeah let's do it before the boys in the hood come in town yeah Cool. Or right. maybe Wild Boys in the Hood. Wild the Boys in the Hood. We should we'll do one in the code evening. names with them. Yeah. Okay. We'll do that. We should do, we should do a Boys in the Hood one yeah. with everybody in town. Like the who's, week, <laughs> the week of the 23rd. Who's going to be Easy E, though? I'll be Easy E, man. You're going to be Easy E? Dude, I have, I have a King's hat somewhere around here still. Damn. All right. Easy Yeah. Straight out of Compton. Yeah. Straight, yep. we'll, we'll go straight out of, straight out of Greenville. Straight out of Greenville. That's it, man. All right. All right. Peace out. See ya. Six bottles of drinks, four velvet ass